I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we've been walking our way through the book of 1 Peter in these weeks and months together at Grace Fellowship. And today we come to the end of chapter 3, where the Apostle Peter continues, um, I think you could call it his encouragement uh, to Christians, suffering, struggling Christians in places like Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Bithynia. He's encouraging them to endure suffering. And today we pick up where we left off last week. He's going to continue in doing so. He's going to teach us something I think is pretty precious about Jesus in the process of First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Would you listen closely and carefully to these words in God's word? Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment and in your kindness and in your mercy, we would ask that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, and that's by the power of your spirit to use... Lord, these words in your words, some of which are mysterious and difficult. Lord, in the words that I've prepared, some of which are incomplete. And Lord, we ask that you would use these things by the power of your spirit to shape us to be your people. And Lord, in a particular way, I want to pray that you would use them to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus tonight. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So somewhat recently, Mandy and I were at a dock on a lake, and we needed to get across this lake to the other side, and this ferry boat came along to the dock in order to ferry us to the other side, and when the boat came around, for reasons I cannot explain, I just wasn't quite sure about it, let's put it that way. And the boat came along, and I asked the driver of the boat, I said, can you take us? And he said, yeah. And then I said, can you take all of us? And he just looked at me and said, yeah. And then for some reason, Millie was little. For some reason, I said, even the baby? <laughs> I didn't want to leave her behind. And uh, he said, Yes. And then I said, and all our stuff? 
And he looked at me and he just said, yes, I will get you to the other side. And he did not say that to me with a look on his face of anger or he wasn't annoyed with me, or at least his face didn't show that. But he just said it with the confidence of a man who had done it before. Now, when you preach and you give illustrations, you need to know that at some point they break down, okay? Because my family were in no real danger on this lake. But I want you to imagine for a second that we were under danger. Like, let's say the, wa- the waves and the wind and the storm had become intense and we were in some kind of danger. Let's just imagine that for a second. And I want you to imagine also that this danger wasn't necessarily literal winds and waves and storms. But imagine this danger was a metaphorical storm. And this is a good window into what Peter is saying in this passage. See, his readers were caught in a storm, if you will. But it wasn't winds and waves and bad weather but the winds of persecution were starting to blow. The waves of suffering and pain because of their following of Jesus, also their walking around in a broken, fallen world were beginning to crash upon the shores of their lives. I wonder if you know what I mean. The weight of evil and sin and darkness was beginning to, if you will, capsize their boat. And Peter wants to assure them that they will get through to the other side because the person who is going to carry them across is the Lord Jesus and he has done it before. See, in this passage, Peter wants to encourage his readers to endure suffering. He wants to assure them that Jesus has done everything to help them do that. And because God's word is always eternally youthful and alive and fresh, I believe Peter would want to encourage you tonight to endure whatever painful, hard struggles you're walking through. And in convincing and encouraging his audience to endure, I think the apostle Peter tells us in this text, perhaps, okay, this is a bold statement, perhaps the most precious thing the New Testament teaches us about Jesus. And I wanna make sure I tell it to you now because I don't want you to miss it. In this passage, Peter is going to tell us something so essential to understanding Jesus. And I want to tell it to you. Here's the first part. Peter wants you and I to know that Christ knows. When I say that Christ knows, I mean Christ knows. He knows what it's like to live under 
the weight of suffering and trial and hardship, assaults from the power of evil. He is acquainted with pain and sadness and darkness and suffering. He knows. And, and, and as if that were not enough. And Jesus has done everything necessary to defeat and destroy the powers of evil. Jesus both knows and he's done everything necessary to defeat and destroy the power of evil. So let's talk about those two things one at a time. First of all, Christ knows. Look with me in verse 18. To this point, Peter has tried to convince his audience that there is a reward in suffering. And it begs the question, well, what is the reward? And according to Peter, the reward is Christ himself. And that's why he begins in verse 18 with these words. Look with me at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. In other words, Christ suffered an unjust suffering. Christ endured wrong, evil, darkness. Christ suffered through things unfair and not right. And Peter believes that just this simple word that Christ, by the way, also suffered. He believes that that will bring a unique hope to his hearers. The British preacher in the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, wrote it like this. We will bear up under our sufferings when we find fellowship with Jesus in them. When we know that Christ has suffered, that he has endured the same things that we endure, it gives our hearts a unique kind of hope. Jesus knows. You probably know the experience and the comfort it brings you when somebody that you know knows your exact experience. They can say to you, I've been through that. I have felt that pain. I know exactly what you mean. Those moments when somebody can hear about your pain and sorrow and suffering and they can finish your sentence because they know what it feels like. You know, we call that gift empathy, the ability for someone to feel the things that you feel. And the scriptures teach us in this mind-blowing, heart-expanding, hope-building kind of way that Jesus is supremely empathetic with our pain. He's felt it. He knows it. He's lived it. In many ways, Jesus' entire life is one great act of suffering. It's not just his work on the cross. It's his whole entire life. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever just felt the assault or the attack of the enemy? Just so profound and there and present in your mind, in your thinking, in your heart, in your feeling, in your body. Have you ever just felt that? Well, remember, Jesus goes to the wilderness where he endures temptation from the devil. He knows that feeling. 
me give you a few other examples. Have you ever felt just completely and utterly misunderstood? What about from a member of your own family? So there's a place in the gospel of John where Jesus' brothers come to him and they're really confused. Like, why do you want to go to Judea? Like, what's the deal? Like, who, who are you? What, what are you talking about? His own family are misunderstanding and they're confused about him. He knows that pain. Have you ever been gossiped about? Remember that Jesus... In his earthly ministry, people went around whispering that he's really just a glutton and a drunkard. You probably know the pain of somebody saying things about you like that. Jesus knows that pain. Have you ever felt discredited because of the background you come from? You know, there's a big debate in the Gospel of John and the other Gospel stories. You see people all the time confused and they start saying, "Um, I'm sorry, where did this guy come from? Isn't this the guy from Nazareth, the carpenter's son? Does anything good come from Nazareth? He knows that disrespect. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like someone was just waiting to trap you and to trick you and to catch you in your words so that they can shame you or embarrass you? Throughout the gospel stories, the Pharisees are always creeping around and they're they're trying to set a trap so that Jesus might accidentally misspeak and they could use that to discredit his ministry. Have you ever felt abandoned by your closest friends? Remember, it's Jesus in the garden who finds his disciples sleeping and he just says, can you not just stay awake and pray with me? You know, have you ever felt the whisper of the lies of the enemy. You know, we meet Jesus and he's, he's in the garden and the scripture teaches that he's sweating drops of blood and he's in intense agony. And you just know in those moments, it was the lies of the enemy that were saying to him, you don't really have to do this. But he withstands. The cross, the shame, the embarrassment, the being stripped naked and spat upon and struck and beaten. I say all this to say that Jesus knows it. He's acquainted with your sorrow. And I say this not to tell you, what are you complaining about? Look how much worse Jesus had it. That's not the way that this text is supposed to go. It's supposed to say a tender word to you that Jesus understands. He understands. Have you ever heard vile things whispered in your ear? Jesus has heard them. Have you ever felt the weight of darkness pressing upon you? Jesus has felt it. Have you ever had darts from the evil one flying at you in all directions? Jesus has had that experience and he's dodged those just like you have to. Peter wants his hearers to know because he believes it will empower their endurance. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered. Jesus knows. And, and, and. Second thing, Jesus has done 
everything necessary to defeat and destroy evil and darkness. Look with me again at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. See, the goal and the agenda of the powers, the powers of evil and death and darkness, the goal and the agenda that they operate under is to keep you distant from God. But the scripture teaches Jesus suffered in order to close that gap and bring us close. See, the great goal of Christ's work for you is to bring you close and near and in relationship and communion with God. You have forgiveness, not just for forgiveness sake, but so that you can be made right with God. Jesus goes to the cross to destroy the power of evil and death and darkness in order to bring you close to God. Let's keep reading. That he might bring us to God. And then Peter outlines all the different pieces of Jesus's work for you and for me. Here's what he says. Being put to death in the flesh. That's Jesus's death on the cross. The scripture teaches in that moment, among other things, that he destroys the power of evil. The scripture teaches in that moment, among other things, that the power of sin that feels like fingers entangling you and choking you, Scriptures teach us that he breaks their power in his death on the cross. Peter goes on to say, he's put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive in the spirit. This is his resurrection. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was raised from the dead. That when he was raised from the dead, he came away holding the keys this is a New Testament way of saying that Jesus rules the world. Whoever owns the power of death in this universe runs the universe and it's King Jesus now. He was put to death in the flesh. He was made alive in the spirit. And then it says that he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. What? <laughs> Peter, what do you mean? What's he talking about? These are some of the most debated verses in the entire New Testament. And I will summarize them simply as saying that at some point and in some way, however mysterious, we're not sure, but at some point and in some way, Christ, after being raised from the dead, at some point and in some way, the powers of evil and death and darkness, the ones that had been wreaking havoc in God's good world all the way back from the days of Noah, the powers of evil and death and darkness in all times and in all places, at some point and in some way, those powers were given a notice that Jesus had defeated them. And then he goes on to use this illustration of Noah in the ark. God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's using somewhat of an illustration. He's saying, just like God gave grace to Noah 
and his family. And that allowed them to pass through the wickedness and the hell and the chaos safely to the other side. In the same way, it's, he's saying it's a metaphor. In the same way, you, when Christ claimed you, when you went down into the waters of baptism, you came out safely and you will come out safely, fully and finally. What Peter's trying to say is just like God did it then for Noah, he's doing it now for you and for me. He's leading us He's assuring us of safe passage through every trial and suffering and storm. And then he goes on, verse 22, who has gone into heaven. This is his ascension and is at the right hand of God. The scriptures teach us that Jesus was raised from the dead and then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, which means among other things that at this moment, he upholds the universe by the word of his power that things in our world that seem so chaotic and out of control, that that is certainly not so. That he is carefully working all things together for our good because he is the crucified, resurrected, and now ascended Lord Jesus. And then this last part, who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What Peter is saying is that the power of evil and darkness and death, what the New Testament will call the rulers and the principalities, demonic forces. What Peter's saying is that those things have been utterly and completely defeated by Jesus. In a couple other places, the New Testament will say that these rulers and authorities are being put underneath Jesus's very it's a vivid image of his complete domination and conquering of them one time i watched this football game and a guy scored a touchdown and he put the football down and in his celebration he put his foot on it like this as if he had defeated an enemy see this is better than that In a very precious way, Jesus is saying that the powers of evil that you can feel press you. Jesus, at this very moment, it is the most certain thing in all the world. He is pressing them. And Peter believes that this word has the potential to let hope bubble up inside your heart and can empower any kind of endurance through any kind of storm and suffering and trial that comes your way. What do you do with this? I want to encourage you to perhaps respond and to do four things with this truth that Jesus both knows and, and, and he's done everything necessary to defeat. Four things. First of all, today, I want to encourage you to rejoice. In just a few moments, we will celebrate communion. I want you to come up to this table celebrating. 
In a few moments, we'll sing a song about how Christ has been risen and he's defeated death. I want you to come and rejoice. Secondly, I want to encourage you to hope. And remember what hope is. In the New Testament sense, hope is a careful, tight clinging to Jesus' promises in spite of how things appear. I want to encourage you to rejoice. I want to encourage you to hope. Third thing, I want to encourage you, and this might sound strange, I want to encourage you to just calm down. Just calm down. You and I live so pent up with fear. And according to this passage, that's just not necessary. Jesus has defeated every enemy. You can take a breath. Just breathe. Fourth, and the hardest part, I encourage you to hold on. Just hold on. And I mean that in the sense of hold on, endure. See, Scripture teaches that there's a day coming when we won't need endurance anymore. Death and evil will have been defeated, swallowed up. But for now, we have to hold on and we have to endure. Can he get us to the other side? Yes. All of us? Yes. Even the baby? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Because he's done it already. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, these things are easier talked about from a pulpit than lived tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. So we ask that these words would transform and that they would give us hope. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.